Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. Well, just before we uh, come to God's word today, I just want to take another moment just to uh, recognize the amazing generosity of our church family. Uh, If you've been with us over the month of July, you know that we have been uh, endeavoring to raise funds for Cure International in Zambia so that they can construct a new hospital and get a new staff to continue serving the people of Zambia. And uh, our goal for this project was to raise $150,000. And it's an ambitious goal. Uh, We had three VBSs where the kids of our church by themselves raised over $12,000, which was an incredible effort from our kids, leading the way for us in generosity. And and I'm so overjoyed to say that across the month of July, our entire church family together has raised over $263,000. So we have far exceeded our original goal. It is wonderful, yeah. Um, that not only allows us to gift this to Cure International, but also to many of our other Serve the World partners, that going above and beyond now allows us to bless partners that we have around the world in Ukraine and in other nations serving the gospel and the peoples of those nations. So I just want to pray and thank God for moving us and working in our hearts to make us generous, but also just pray for wisdom and, and conviction that we would continue in that same vein of generosity, that it wouldn't just be localized to a month where we say as a family, let's, let's chase a goal, but that we would become a people who are marked every month of the year by a generosity that points towards Jesus. So let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you so much for what you've done over the course of July. God, we realize that this is more just more than about just putting dollars into the account of an organization that needs support. Uh, Lord, this was about hearts being moved to become more like Christ, who out of his extreme generosity gave himself for his church. And so God, we pray that we would always be as your son is, marked by generosity so that the world would see the great God who gives to his people. We thank you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are continuing our series in Proverbs today, and each week we're looking at kind of a different aspect of wisdom, and today is friendship. Uh, And whenever we talk about friendship, I think of this song. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. That's way better than I thought. You wanna be okay. where everybody knows so we, we uh, know that song, those of us who do, from the TV show Cheers, right? And I love those lyrics. Everybody, you, every, sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name, right? It's, it's this great vision of friendship, and that's what the whole show is about. And many of the TV shows and movies we watch are centered around great ideas of what friendship is. So I, want, I wanted to share with you some of the greatest friendships in television movie history right now. I'm going to start with one of the best, which is Marvin Goose, right? Marvin Goose, great friends, right? There's a bit of a tragic end to their friendship, but they love one another really well, right? And we love watching them get together. Or maybe on the lady side of things, you've got Thelma and Louise, right? They're very good friends. Maybe didn't do the greatest stuff together, but they love one another, and you can't help but be touched by their friendship, the way that they love one another, and they're kind of each other's ride or die. I also feel like I need to mention, because I always, I always think of this one, is, has anybody seen the movie The Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants? Okay, does anybody like this movie? 
I just want to ask those of you that enjoy this movie and have read the book and enjoyed the book, what kind of friendship trades pants with each other? I just, I've never done that with my friends. Maybe it's a, a girl thing. I've just never thought that that was like, you know what, we're such good friends, I want you to have my pants. I've just never thought of that. But there is one friendship that stands above the rest is the greatest friendship in movie history, and it's these two guys right here. That's right. See, everybody agrees. You might not even like Lord of the Rings, but if you have seen any scene of these two guys together in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, you know that Frodo Baggins and Samwise Gamgee are the best of friends. And in particular, Samwise, watching how he loves his friend and that he carries him and walks with him and goes with him throughout this incredibly difficult journey. Every time, I cry every time in The Return of the King when he's on the mountain, he's like, I'll carry you, Mr. Frodo. It's just heart-wrenching, right? And <laughs> thank you. I, I worked on that for this weekend. Um, but when you see those pictures, it awakens something in your heart. When you see these scenes of these, these people loving one another, serving one another, walking beside one another, it's something we all kind of have in common that we see it and we want it and we know it, right? We know what true friendship should look like. Proverbs is all about the practical dynamics of life. It's all about guiding us, navigating us through the different parts of life. And so it's without surprise that one of the most important things in the book of Proverbs is learning how to be wise in our friendships, learning how to have wise friendships. And what Proverbs says about friends is going to guide you in how you should make friends, how you should love and serve your friends, and what kind of friends should be close to you. Proverbs has so much to say about this, the kinds of people you should be friends with, the kinds of people you shouldn't be friends with. But I think the most important thing about Proverbs is that it paints a picture of friendship that's very different than the one we kind of think of culturally. Amen. It's very different. You see, in our culture, we've, I think, diluted and cheapened friendship, what God intended it to be. See, we sometimes joke, I saw a meme recently, it said, Jesus' greatest miracle was maintaining 12 good friendships after age 30, <laughs> right? Now, why is that line funny? Why is that a great joke? Because we know what it means to have grown older and struggle to find good friendships. That's why that's a joke, is because in our culture, maintaining intimate friendships is very difficult. And what we should see is, it, it shouldn't be a joke, because Jesus' pursuit of friends was not a miracle, it was what God intends to be the norm for us all to live in a community of friends. And he was demonstrating to us, to the church, that the wisest among us would be one who pursues godly friendships. So today we're gonna to look at three aspects of friendship in the book of Proverbs. The power of friendship, the pursuit of friendship, and the practice of friendship. And my hope for us as a church is that we would get a better vision of what God intends for our friendship. That we'd see what biblical friendship is and that we would all grow in the wisdom of how we pursue and how we invest in our friendships. So let's talk first about the power of friendship. Now honestly, I think the best way to convey to you the power of good friendship is to just read to you some stats on what happens in the lives of those that don't have friendships. There's a lot of studies out there on loneliness, especially over the last few years because of the pandemic. Let me read a couple of things to you about loneliness. 36% of all Americans, including 61% of young adults and 51% of mothers with young children feel serious loneliness in their lives. About half of lonely young adults in, in the survey reported that no one in the past few weeks had taken more than just a few minutes to ask how they were doing 
in a way that made them feel like the person genuinely cared. And, and one thing that I thought was astounding is the average American, so across a, a study of probably about a few thousand people, the average American says that they have less than one true friend. Now, the only way you can have on an average less than one is that a lot of people are saying, I don't have any. A lot of people are saying that they don't have a single true friend. Young adults suffer high rates of both loneliness and anxiety and depression. And a CDC survey said 63% of young adults are suffering significant symptoms of anxiety and depression. And just this year, in May, the Surgeon General released an advisory concluding that loneliness and a lack of good friendships is as detrimental to your physical health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. So you see that this is not just something that we aspire to on an emotional level. A lack of true friendship has a physical effect on your life. Friendship is incredibly powerful. It is of incalculable, incalculable value. And you can see what happens in its absence. Now you and I, we were created for friendship. God created us in his image and God himself is three in one. He is a trinity of persons. He lives in community from eternity past. And so when he created us in his image, it was woven into our very nature to be people who need friendship. The Godhead shares devotion to each person of the Trinity. They share a bond of trust and intimacy and fellowship with one another. And I think out of that grows a definition for us of what true biblical friendship is. True biblical friendship is this. It's a shared devotion to God that enables an enduring trust, intimacy, and fellowship with one another. Biblical friendship is is shared devotion to God that enables an enduring trust, intimacy, and fellowship with one another. Now, I would say that in our culture, friendships are built mostly on convenience, not shared devotion, mostly on convenience. For example, we are friends with those that we work with because they're there. We're friends with the people that we live around because they're there. We are friends with the people that we share hobbies with. We are friends with the people that we have added on social media, who in truth are not friends at all, but simply a picture that we've clicked yes on. See, biblical friendship runs against the grain of modern friendships, which avoids true intimacy, and it doesn't invest itself in sharing souls which is what biblical friendship does. In fact, I would say in our culture, even the word intimacy is a word we only associate with romantic relationships, not friendships in general. We've made it almost exclusive to romantic relationships so that as a result, single people in our culture are subtly communicated to that they cannot have intimacy apart from sex because we, we don't talk about it as being something that's valuable in regular friendships. And even marriages have imploded from a lack of true friendships outside of the marriage itself. See, the Bible says you can have a lot of sex and no intimacy, and it says that you can have a lot of intimacy and no sex. Intimacy is not something exclusive to romantic relationships. Biblical friendship is, again, a shared devotion to God, which enables an enduring trust intimacy and fellowship with one another. It has tremendous power because it does three things. First, it encourages us. Friendship encourages us. In Proverbs 27, 9, we're told, oil and perfume make the heart glad and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Friendships encourage us. 
They multiply our strength and bring us joy. You see, God designed our hearts to work that way. So that when we gather in community, when we share our soul and our lives with another, we are mutually strengthened. Have you ever experienced that? C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says that friendship is when you meet someone and you say, you too? I thought I was the only one. It's a mutual encouragement. One of my favorite examples of friendship in all of scripture is in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 14 where Jonathan, the son of King Saul, is facing a a large number of uh, enemies. And his armor bearer stood with him and he says, I am with you, heart and soul. And he puts courage into the heart of Jonathan who was then able to overcome his enemies because two friends said, we're in this fight together. That's what it means for friendship to encourage us. But friendship also protects us. Friendship protects us. We're told in Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. And in Proverbs eleven fourteen, we're told, where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. See, true friends are constants. They are with you throughout all the ups and downs of life. That's what it means when we're told that a friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. Your family will be there in hard times sometimes. But a true friend is someone who loves you in all seasons. When things are bad, when things are good. They stand by you. They hold us together when times are difficult. They keep us humble. They even protect us from ourselves. Because the truth is that we don't always see ourselves well when we live in isolation. Don't always understand what's in our own heart. But friends... They see us better than we see ourselves, true friends. They're able to hold a mirror to us so that we can see what's going on. They can counsel us and advise us. When you live in isolation, there are dangers that you cannot see or recognize. And that's why if you look out in nature, there are pack animals that can survive much larger predators because they travel together. We should learn something from that. That in community, in fellowship, in friendship, there is safety. That's what Proverbs tells us. In the abundance of counselors, there is safety. And lastly, friendship sharpens us. Friendship is powerful because it sharpens us. Proverbs 27, 17 says, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. True friends sharpen our souls. They make us better. True friend is one, as Pastor Jeff told me this week, one who loves you, but who loves God more. That's a true friend. They want to see you grow in your faith. They want to see you move closer towards the heart of who Christ is. Craig Rochelle, another pastor, said that there's one place in our lives that we can look to accurately predict our future of who we are going to become over the course of our lives. It's not where we work. It's not who we marry. It's who our close friends are. It says that you will become the average of your five closest friends. It will shape who you are. Another pastor, I really enjoyed hearing what he had to say. He said, we all have something that we'd like to become, a better parent, a better spouse, a better student, a better worker, a more solid and faithful Christian. And what if the decision to become that was really a decision about pursuing good biblical friendships? Do you pursue true, authentic, intimate friendships in your life? It's why we need to learn about the pursuit of friendship. Proverbs has so much to tell us about the pursuit of friendship. Some of you guys know I'm a a huge nerd, and so I often will find myself 
trying to buy little Ned items. I really like to get uh, prop replicas from movies. And one of my favorite movies is a movie called Troy, which is the story of Achilles and the Trojan horse and everything. And I always loved watching that movie. Achilles has this incredible sword. It's just, it's kind of a unique shape. It looks really cool. I thought that would look fantastic, like on an office wall, you know, a really intimidating pasta thing. So I, uh, I shopped around and I found this website that had this great picture of a replica Achilles sword and it was, it was decently priced. It wasn't, you know, over the top. And I thought, yes, this is it. I'm getting that. I'll hang it up. It's going to be fantastic. Well, the, the package arrives at my doorstep. I'm so excited to open it up and I open it up do you think that what was in the box was what was on the picture? No, of course not, because I'm Andrew and I'm stupid and I buy stupid things. <laughs> I opened that box. It was a cheap, nasty replica that was flimsy, was falling apart, was the wrong color. You could tell that it was kind of haphazardly put together and not designed well. Some of us fall for cheap replica friendships, cheap and anemic versions of what God intends for, intends for us. And what Proverbs wants to teach us is how to pursue friends well, to pursue friendships that are godly, that are beautiful, that are intimate. So it tells us three things. It tells us first that we pursue friends that tell us the truth. This is one of the most common things that Proverbs tells us about good friendships, is that friends tell you the truth. Proverbs 27 verses five through six is, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend and profuse are the kisses of an enemy. See, we'd all say that we want a friend who tells us the truth, but often we settle for friends who will tell us what we want to hear. We will pursue friendships with people who will kind of rub our ego and make us feel comfortable about who we are. Friends who would say things to us like, we just want you to be happy. When the Bible says in, in really difficult, hard circumstances, the last thing you want is a friend who just wants you to be happy. You need a friend who wants you to be holy. You need a friend who wants you to thrive and to grow and to be strong, even if sometimes that means your happiness has to be suspended for a moment. I love that it says in verse six, faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. There's no shortage of people who wanna just tell us what we wanna hear. Charles Spurgeon said, true friends put enough trust in you to tell you openly about your faults. Give me a friend, the man who will speak honestly of me before my face, who will not tell first one neighbor and then another, but who will come straight to my house and say, Sir, I feel there is such and such a thing in you, which is my brother I must tell you of. That man is a true friend, and he's proved himself to be so. I'm fortunate that I have been gifted by God with friends like that. Jeff Conrad, who comes to this church, has been a friend like that to me, even in this last year. When I was reading that, I remember I was like, that's Jeff. Because a few months ago, there was something really hard in my life, something I didn't want to do, uh, a relationship that I had to confront. And I said, you know, I know it hurts me. I know it's not healthy. It's not, not good. And Jeff said, then you need to confront it. That's what you need to do. And I said, yeah, I don't know. He said, listen, if you don't confront it, I'm going to hold you accountable to that. I'm going to tell other people. I was like, Jeff, why would you do that? But that was a true friend. That was a friend who cared deeply about my growth and my health and my walk with Christ and said, you need to be committed to the things that you know God has asked you to do, Andrew. That's a true friend. We should also pursue friends that are faithful. Friends that are faithful. Proverbs 18, 24. 
says this, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. See, true friends are faithful. They stay close to us. They are intentional with us. They're not people who check in once every so often. They are people who want to know what's going on inside of our souls. And what that means is you can't have too many. If you want true, authentic, intimate friendships, you have to be selective. You have to be thoughtful. They cannot be infinite. You could be a very popular person and still suffer from loneliness and a lack of intimacy. Because true friendships are not about the number of people who like you. It's about the number of people who will stay by your side and walk through you, with you through difficult and painful things and rejoice with you in good things. See, our adult life is often consumed with obligatory relationships, kind of what we might call transactional relationships. We're friends because we're getting something from one another. We're at work, and so you know, we can help one another out. We live in the same neighborhood. All, all those kinds of friendships are what I would call transactional. There is something traveling in both directions. But true friendship is not about what you can get from the other person. It's about loving one another and knowing the other's soul apart from what you get out of it. That's why that proverb says that they're in, uh, pull it back up, there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. True friendships are not based on what you can get out of it. When I was uh, in college, there was a, someone who helped me understand what this means. He visited our church before, actually. He's now a missionary in Mauritius, and a man named Adam. When, when we were in college together, Adam came and, and did something that felt at the time incredibly unusual and bizarre. He says, I want to have a covenant friendship with you. I thought, I'm not into culty stuff, Adam, so don't worry about it. But what Adam meant is, I want to have an intentional friendship with you. I want to be committed. I don't want this to be just something that happens. On the, I, I want to have a friendship that is faithful and consistent and that is based on Christ. So he invited me into that. And I'm, I'm proud to say that decades later, Adam is still one of my closest friends because he decided that he was going to be faithful in a friendship with me, that he was going to be committed to knowing what's going on in my soul. He's been with me when my mom has been sick. He's been with me in marriage and stood at the altar when I married Janae. He has been with me when I'm having my uh, children. And he was the first person that I sent the baptism video of Jonathan to. I'm so blessed to have a friendship like that. And, and that's not something that you should hear me saying and saying, well, that works for you. That is something that God desires for all of you, to have covenant friendships where you have faithful friends who are with you in every season. Who can do that for you? Who can be available for you? Decide today that you're gonna pursue a friend like that. Don't wait for it. The last thing that we should pursue in our friends is friends that pursue Christ. We should wanna pursue friends that pursue Christ. Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And Proverbs 13.20 says, whoever walks with the wise, those who fear God, will become wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. It is of course possible and frequent and quite honestly encouraged that we should have friends with people outside of the church, people who may not be believers. However, the closest friends, the people that we let into the, the tightest proximity to our souls should be people that pursue Christ. Amen. We should become friends with those who know that Christ is the source of all joy and life. 
You should have plenty of relationships like that. Remember, true biblical friendship grows out of shared devotion to God. And when we don't build meaningful relationships with other Christians, we're doing one of two things. The best case scenario, we are disadvantaging ourselves in our faith. We are making it harder. And at the worst, we are exposing ourselves to great harm. Because what happens if you spend time with people who are not centered on Christ too often? What happens if you invite them into the most intimate parts of your life is that you're not gonna receive counsel that's godly. You might be encouraged to continue in things that you know are not pleasing to God because your friend's not gonna call them out. You might be encouraged to kind of stay in a place where you're not growing, not being committed to serving and to being generous because your friend is not into those things. The only way to guard against that is to pursue friends that pursue Christ. Christ Christ-centered friendships should be our passion, should be what's most vital to us. Now, it's not always our choice. I realize that. Sometimes it's difficult to have close friendships with people inside the church. But don't let that be for lack of trying. Don't let the reason you don't have close Christian friendships be because you've never invited someone in church into your life. There's plenty of opportunities for us to say, I want to have that kind of friendship and I'm going to pursue that kind of friendship. It can be inconvenient, it can be awkward, it can be difficult, but are you really going to let awkwardness and difficulty keep you from something that God wants to give you to bless you and strengthen you? Isn't it an unfortunate thing that we would let awkwardness and inconvenience be the reason that we don't get something that God wants to bless us with? Don't let it be for lack of trying. Final consideration of wisdom that Proverbs offers us is about the practice of friendship. Practice of friendship. True friendship is indispensable in the pursuit of true wisdom. So Proverbs tells us what kind of friends we should seek, but it also teaches us what kind of friends we should be. True friends practice three things. A lot of threes this morning. First, we should practice patience, a presence, sorry. We should practice presence. Proverbs 27.10 says, Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend. Do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. Presence is incredibly important to authentic friendship. And what I mean by that, what I mean by being present, is that we need to be involved in life with them not engaging only in convenient friendships. You see, life can squeeze a lot of friendships out because we don't allow ourselves to have the time to be present. And being present also means we need to learn to listen well. Proverbs 25.20, one of the most convicting proverbs I've read throughout our study of this series, says, whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. What does that mean? to sing songs to have a heart, a heavy heart. It means friends who are trying to be positive when they should be listening and grieving with you. Friends who say things like, oh, and it's okay, it's not so bad, look on the bright side, when actually it would have been better to sit with you and weep with you, grieve with you. Friends are not just trying to be happy all the time. True friends are willing to sit in the dark moments with you and be present to not rush you through them, but to wait with you. Someone who you truly need to sit with you. And you know who is really great at this is Jesus. Every funeral I do, I read the story of Lazarus 
Because what's remarkable about that story is that Jesus comes to the funeral of Lazarus knowing he is going to raise him from the dead and perform an incredible miracle. And yet when Lazarus' sisters come up, his close friends, and they weep and they say, if you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. He doesn't say to Mary and Martha, hey, get your act together and have more faith in me. What does Jesus do? He weeps with them. He sits with them because he's a good friend. He knows that those two women are hurting because they've lost their brother. He doesn't try and rush them out of it. He doesn't try and give them some trite spiritual encouragement. He says, I'm gonna be with you. I'm gonna weep with you. So much so that even the crowd gathered around say, look how much this man loved Lazarus because he's willing to do what? To sit and grieve and be present with the family. Should also practice truthfulness. Proverbs 28, 23, whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. And 29, 5, a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Truthfulness is not just something that we should expect from our friends. It should be something that we're willing to give to our friends. It's a hard one for me because I don't like conflict in friendships. I would rather be the encouraging guy. I like to say nice things all the time. But true friendship means that if I love my friends, if I love God more than my friend, I need to be honest with them sometimes about hard things. But it doesn't mean that we always have to kind of have hard conversations and unpleasant conversations. Sometimes being truthful simply means saying the things that you think they might assume, but they actually need to hear you say out loud. Sometimes it means just saying truthful things to them about God, about them that you are loved, that you are created in the image of Christ, that you are valuable to him, that he's gonna walk with you, that he's gonna hold you together, that you're loved and you're supported. Don't be ones who assume your friends know how you feel. Say it to them. Words are powerful. And because words are powerful, there's another issue with this this practice of truthfulness because we have a culture really that enjoys sarcasm a little too much. And another one of the most convicting proverbs I read Proverbs 26, 18 through 19, like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. That's not a nice one to hear, is it? How many of us have had friendships where we've gone a little bit too far in being sarcastic or joking and we don't notice the pain that it causes our friend? We think it's justified because we were only joking, but the truth is we've got to be very careful because words have power. They make an impact. And when sarcasm becomes the majority of our conversations, no matter how fine it is on some occasions, when it it shapes the conversations, it hurts people that we actually are supposed to be loving. Last thing is we practice forgiveness. Proverbs 17, 9, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. And Proverbs 24, 29, do not say I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. Don't say that. When Proverbs 17 talks about covering, covering is in biblical terms virtually synonymous with forgiveness. Forgiving an offense. And whoever does that, we're told in Proverbs, seeks love. I think in a culture of transactional relationships where we keep score, if we're honest, of how well we've been loved or how well we have not been loved, we tend not to be a people who cover others' sins. We tend to be a people who keep score of them. We tend to be a people who love others only if they are willing to love us. 
And when people have let us down, failed us, or wounded us, we cut them off. But true friendship involves risk. It involves the possibility that you will get hurt. Because after all, a friendship is a relationship between two sinners. You will get hurt if you want true biblical friendship. Do you know that the reason why it's so hard for so many people in our culture to understand God's forgiveness is they've never had a true friend who's looked them in the eye and forgiven them? And so when we talk about God's forgiveness, they've never heard of anything like that. They've never seen that. They've never had someone embody it for them. But a true friend will embody the forgiveness of God by being willing to forgive themselves. And that will liberate people to enjoy God's forgiveness. Love keeps no record of wrong. We should want others to think the best of our friends. We shouldn't expose their faults to the world. And so let me ask you, how do you talk about your friends when they let you down? Do you enjoy an occasion where you get to tell others about your friends failing? Or do you cover it and pray for them? Here's the problem as we finish. We hear this list of different things, these ways we can pursue and practice friendship, and we think two things. First of all, I long for friends like that. I want to have friends that, that pursue those things. I want to have friends that practice those things. But the second thing we think is, I'm not that kind of friend. That list doesn't describe me very well. And that's why only Christ can be the engine of true friendship. The only way that list can become more than just aspirations is for you to know Christ as your friend. Christ says in John 15, verses 13 through 15, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I've made known to you. It's two things Jesus teaches us here about being our friend. First, to Jesus, friendship means sacrifice. It means cost. There's no such thing as a cheap friendship to Jesus. He, out of love, embraces the true expense of friendship with us, which is giving his life. Secondly, to be our friend, he reveals his heart to us. Hebrew word for friend that Jesus would have used is closely associated with secret. Hebrew word ria. And the reason why it's associated with secret is because in biblical terms, to be a friend is to reveal your secrets to someone. It's to expose yourself to them so they can truly see everything about you. What Jesus is saying to his disciples is, you're my friends because I have shown you everything about myself. I have let you into the deepest parts of who I am. He actually says, you are my friends because everything the Father's revealed to me, I've revealed to you. I have not kept anything back from you. That's true friendship. The friendship of Christ is incredibly intimate. And if you're gonna model true friendship to this well, if you're gonna live out true friendship, you need to know his friendship. You need to know the perfect friend who sacrificed himself for you, who opens himself up to you apart from what you can bring him and do for him. And if you try to live without that friendship, you will stall out because without Christ, you have a fundamental insecurity. You need your friends to be something for you that they can't possibly be. When we look to people to give us what only God can provide, it will always lead to disappointment, frustration, criticism, and conflict. 
But what if? What if you had a friend who could meet your needs, through whom you could know true friendship? See, we love out of the overflow of God's love for us. So we're told in Scripture, we love because he first loved us. So two things as we close. Number one, prioritize pursuing biblical friendships in your life. Prioritize it. Don't wait. Don't let this be something that you had on a Sunday morning and that you file it away neatly. Make a commitment to say, I am going to be a person who pursues intimate, godly friendships. And second and most importantly, if you do not yet know Jesus as your friend, don't wait. Don't wait. If you have left him at a distance, begin that friendship with him today by admitting your need for him and receiving his offer of friendship by putting your faith in his life, his death, and his resurrection. And I promise you, he will move towards you way faster than you could ever move towards him because he is your true friend who loves you. You can leave this place this morning certain of God's friendship by trusting that Jesus' death and resurrection was a gift to you personally. All you need to do is to ask him to give that gift to you. Let me leave you with the words of one of my favorite hymns. What a friend we have.